do you remember that first time you kind of walked in the press box of Commonwealth? You sort of looked around like, oh my God, I'm here. And everybody else was like, oh, who are these kids? The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time, do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's Corey Graham on TSN 1260. Where does Corey Graham decide that he wants to get into radio? Let's see. I graduated high school in 1998, worked at a uh, delivery place for a while, like a food delivery, Cisco, basically packing orders and stuff and, and making money, which was nice, but I never really loved it, obviously. And I decided that, you know what, I've always been into sports. Eventually, I'd like to get closer to sports. I mean, obviously, I'm no good at it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like once you realize your, your playing days are over, you're like, well, how do I kind of stay involved? I'm not going to be a coach or anything like that because, you know, that requires a lot of work, lifelong dedication. So I was like, you know what, I, I love doing I love doing play-by-play when I was a kid. I love playing video games and talking about the game as I'm playing it. I applied to Nate, would have been for 2003's January intake. And now I'm a kid living in Victoria, you know, the plush island of BC that never sees any snow or anything cold. And, you know, we all think we're pretty hardcore. And then I got into the school in Edmonton. I'm like, okay, Edmonton in January, what can go wrong? <laughs> yeah. First day I got there, it was like minus 40. I took a cab from the airport to this place I rented without seeing it. And I was like, hey, this is my life now. And obviously, I didn't think I was going to get into Nate, to be quite honest with you. I thought I'd end up going to BCIT. But I got in that first time and, and I was just like, okay, well, I, I guess I'm in. Let's go. Yeah, this kind of went from there, and I've, I've been in Edmonton ever since. Did you not apply to BCIT? What made you choose Edmonton over BCIT? The January intake. I basically decided, okay, this is what I want to do. BCIT didn't start till September. I'll go through the process. I'll send an application in. I'll do my paper. I'll do all that stuff to have it down once and be like, at least I've done it. And then come the fall, I'll apply in BCIT. Hopefully get in there. But I, I won't get into Nate because everybody tells you how, oh, it's so competitive to get into. And, you know, people try to time and time again to get into it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'll go through the process and they won't take me that's fine and then they did and i was like oh okay we're going i never didn't apply to bcit because i didn't need to you more than most people at nate took advantage of the fact that they had a not necessarily an open door policy but they were very welcoming of students jumping on the station outside of class hours probably because uh you couldn't <laughs> hear it outside of the school we had some good times back in the day there i mean that football show inside football we did we were so proud of how long it ran on that station <laughs> uh, remember calling it we went in the summer and did it for god's sakes and there's yeah. no one around and we had to get the janitor to let us into the building and uh, yeah, we kept that that show running thinking it was some sort of badge in our honor that it ran for so long, but it was a lot of fun for sure. But I mean, that's how you do it, right? If you're not going to do it, why are you in radio school if you don't want to be on the air? And that show, that inside football show that you and I and Mike Siona, who's now at CTV in Saskatoon, did together, that also opened the door for you to get into more of a, a mainstream sports angle by being able to get into the odd Oiler game. We had press credentials for pretty much every Eskimo game for a couple couple seasons once you got into the press boxes once you got into the locker rooms did you really solidify like this is what i want yeah absolutely i figured i'd do music first to be honest with you and then again i kind of realized i don't have the chops to do music it wasn't my thing and sports i kind of figured like, you know i do music while i'm younger and then when i'm older i'll graduate over to the sports side because i'll have some experience in my back pocket and instead i was like you know what the eskimos were fantastic dave jameson hooking us up with press passes like you said and treating us like regular media which there's three of us we have no idea what we're doing we're basically like <laughs> just yeah, do you remember that first time you kind of walked in the press box of commonwealth you sort of looked around like oh my god i'm here and everybody else is like oh who are these kids you know it doesn't take long until two years down the road you look at somebody else and go, 
who's a Nate kid? What's he doing here? He doesn't belong. To you be know, fair, like, my just... first thought when I walked into that press box was they have free food here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. They have free food and all the stuff you want to drink. This is great. And it's raining outside or snowing and we're in the warmth. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And like, you don't really have to watch the games. They tell you every play that happens and who did it. So I thought, okay, great. I mean, had the Eskimos not been so welcoming and had our show not really been, if we hadn't been committed to doing it, like some of our other shows we started <laughs> or we started a show, did it for like three weeks and quit, then yeah, then yeah something probably would have changed. But, you know, we were so involved in that. We were doing interviews with pro players who were really accommodating to us and being like, these idiot kids that have no idea what they're doing. And yeah, it was fun. Some of the reporters were so nice to you. And others were so crusty, and you're kind of like, "Well, this is this is it. This is real." <laughs> Terry Jones. Oh yeah, I don't you know names. But. <laughs> no, no, you're still in sports. You don't have to name names. I'm in fucking Regina doing rock music. I can talk shit all I want. There you go. Yeah, you can talk shit all you want. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, your time at Nate was also your play-by-play debut for the Nate Ooks. Yeah, that was a clusterfuck, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> We found out, like, I think it was game two of the playoff series, that, hey, you know you guys could be doing play-by-play for the hockey team? Like, what? This is a thing we could have done all semester? And I, I was in, I think I was in third, and you were in second, so, like, this was the end for me. And we found out we do these playoff games, and you and me were, like, jacked. So we do zero prep. I think we printed off the rosters from the, the internet, and, the, I mean, the ACAC internet at the time, their website was not great. No. Show up at the rink, have no idea what we're doing with the gear. The game's going on because, you know, we arrived five minutes before. I think it took us the second period to get connected, and we finally did. We was like, we must have been terrible. Like, I wish I had the tapes from back then. We didn't know anything about anything, and then here we are calling games. But, I mean, hey, we got to do things our way. You have to kind of create your own thing you know what i mean like there was no sort of this is what you do this is step a step b and follow along we just did it and i think you know as i kind of started doing more games later i went back to that stuff and just did things the way i liked it now obviously a little more preparation and you know all that stuff about being somewhat professional but man those early games they were awesome i remember one game we got on and and we'd done a couple of them so now we were feeling really good like we felt like we were getting into a rhythm we got through to the end of the first period feeling just really solid i think we even high-fived at the end of the first period (laughs) And then there was a guy who was taking the night school radio class who would come yep. in to board op for us because obviously we didn't have a board op. And he got over the, the, the talk back and was like, hey, just wanted to let you guys know the station actually went off air about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and we just sadly packed up all the gear and walked all the way back to the radio wing. Yeah, he had no idea. There was no communication back there. I mean, cell phones were available, but I don't know how he got a hold of us because the talk back wasn't great. No. But yeah. It was, uh, oh man, it, we were so disappointed. And I, that was probably the last game. They probably lost that game. And that was it. But <laughs> it was fun, though. It was fun trying to figure things out using like gear from 1955 and just going at it. How did you end up at what was then Team 1260? Yeah, actually, you know what? I first started, I mean, it's all in the same cluster, but it was Easy Rock where I first started doing. I was off in their morning show because they were going to Disneyland and they, oh, they needed man. an off last minute. So they hooked me up with that. Dave Albright at Nate was like, they need somebody. I didn't have a practicum lined up yet. I was going to take the summer off and probably go. Like, I didn't really have a plan, to be honest with you. That opened up for a little extra money which was great and then I was talking to Rob Fabric there and like you know we haven't done a lot of neat practicums lately but if you're interested in production which uh, again as another thing I thought I would you know get in production and I kind of enjoyed that I was decent at it I'm not overly creative but I was decent at it you can tell me what to do I can do it so I did that as a practicum and then the guy that was running the afternoon drive show on, on Team 1260 they had me fill in for him with, with Bob Stoffer and so I'd off the show basically he's like and he was more into the production end Derek Retzlaff who's now in Kelowna doing I think he's doing production out there but 
was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to move on. Do you want this gig? And I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? Why would I not? Here's a job for you every day, two hours a day, and get to work with Bob Stoffer, who was uh, the rock star at the time, and put sports show. I was like, this is awesome. So I, I stuck there, and I've kind of just kind of kept my head down and been there since. Now, that job, uh, when you get there, like it entails screening calls, you're booking guests, you're doing the sports updates. So it would have been probably a Team 1260 sports update. It was the first time you cracked the mic for real on a real radio station. What did that feel like? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Stoff was on, they were on location in some golf tournament. He's like, you know what? I don't have access to the internet. I can't do updates. You need to do them. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can do that. I legitimately, I taped my first one. Like 10 minutes before it went on. I was so nervous about messing up. I remember playing it and I had the talk back on. It's like, here's them down at the thing. And they thought I was live. And they were talking about, oh, he's, you know, he's not doing too bad. A little wooden. It sounds a little robotic, but he's, he's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, and then it went from there. But again, I mean, back then, it was AM radio. Radio. Who really cared? I, I was worried about messing up. God, I don't have enough fingers to count the times I messed up on that show and screwed things up left, right, and center. But it was okay back then, you know? It was awesome. And I, the first time I did the update, I taped it, listened to it. I was like, well, that's okay. And then I was like, I could do this. Started kind of taking over a little bit more and more every day. I think uh, in that department, took that off Bob's plate, just let him do the show, and I would do the updates, which was great for me to cut my teeth. Booking guests, too. Like, I know Bob had a lot of guys in his Rolodex that he could just shoot a text to give a call to get them on the show but I, I know that he also farmed some of that stuff out to you what was it like getting to yeah. make those kind of connections it was cool and like this is kind of before texting really jumped in like everything there was the, the odd time you'd email somebody but you were cold calling people it sucked like I hated cold calling people you know <laughs> to say would you come on this little radio show in Edmonton and I mean at the time that show I think it was relatively big for what it was here but I mean nobody knew about it at that time across the country or in the states nobody knew who this guy was hosting the show and who this kid was calling to get him on for 10 minutes in Edmonton like so it was hard at times but then I remember the time that the hip were in Edmonton and Gord Downey called in to do a hit because it was set up and I was like I answer the phone and it's, it's Gord Downey and I was like starstruck you know <laughs> you kind of get out of that that was probably the first major person I talked to and I was like man this this is awesome this is a guy I grew up with listening to and here I'm talking to him for five minutes or well, probably like five seconds probably, hi Mr. Downey I'll put you on hold that was probably it but I was like oh this is the greatest thing ever so it was fun but I wish, I mean, I wish it was like now where you just basically text a guy and see yes or no. I'd have people yelling at me for waking them up on maps or on the road. I'd have people say, how much does pay? Why would I do this? They'll get paid. I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's radio. People do it. I, I'm getting yelled at, getting hung up on. You're just like, man, I, I don't really like doing this part. Who's the most famous person that ever cussed you out? People who cussed me out weren't necessarily famous. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other thing. She's like, dude, you're a reporter in Winnipeg. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> Like, I don't get it. And like, I mean, you've gone on to do bigger things since then, but to say that, oh, I'm not coming on unless it's paid, because like, you're stupid. I'm just like, oh, okay. Dude, you're, you're a reporter on the road to the Oilers. We're paying you to do this hit, and I'm calling you at the hotel at agreed upon time, and I woke you up from your nap. That's not my fault. You're <laughs> just screaming at me, and then goes on the air, and everything's great. I'm like, seriously? Now, one of the things that anybody who's worked in that building or around that station knows is that you had hustle. You were a guy that was in early getting the work done. Where did that work <laughs> ethic come from? Tell those people there now that I'm still that person. Because, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm a little out of sight, out of mind these days because doing what I do. But I mean, I think that was just things that we always got taught in radio school. Never say no, all that stuff. And I bought in hook, line, and sinkered all of it. That that's what you had to do. And how many 
crappy times do we have to take a cruiser out in the middle of summer where you want to do something else and you're at some place with four people at and you're like, hey, listen to TSN or the Team 1260. I'm like, what? What is that? I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, really. I mean, at that point, it was any extra hour meant a couple extra dollars. So that was the other part. Whereas I was working part-time technically for the station. Uh, Stoffer paid me out of his own pocket to keep me, which was great. And then I basically hustled to make any other money I could because, you know, it was that time. I wanted to do everything. And I think, you know, I've hosted shows. I programmed the station. I've done all that stuff, which is nice. The only thing I really haven't done in, in radio is sales, which I think I have zero chance of doing because I'm not that kind of guy. But all that other stuff, TSN or Team Twelve Sixty at that time basically had Brandon Jake as employees and everybody else was part-time. So there was a huge gap to kind of jump into and, and take on things. So I, I just did, just hoping for the future. And it paid off because it wasn't that long, if I recall correctly, before you started getting you know the tap on the shoulder, the call from the dugout to come in and start doing some fill-in stuff. How did it feel the first time you were behind the chair on the other side of the glass? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, my first show was filling in for Brandon Jake. Actually, they were at the Grey Cup in 2004. Five, I want to say in Vancouver. So I got to host a show with John Short. I mean, you obviously worked with John back in the day and just sort of legend around him from what he did. Is, and I, I mean, I didn't grow up in Edmonton, so I, I knew of John Short, but I didn't kind of know. But man, he took me under his wing that week of shows and, and showed me some things. And I remember Bryn told me to host, and he's like, hey, you're the host, and John's your co-host. I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with this picture. Like, <laughs> you, why is John co-hosting with me? And at the time, I had no idea, but it was Bryn putting it on me to be the leader, uh, letting me not pass or fail, because it was only a week, but just let me do it. And uh, it was fun. It was intimidating. I loved it, to be honest with you, and having a chance to do it with John. And, and he kind of brought that credibility, I think, to the show at the time, because if not, I'm like, who's this punk kid? Why is he feeling in? But, you know, having John there, I think, was, was fantastic. And, yeah, it was it was great. They gave me that chance and believed I could do a four-hour show in the morning, which was it was so much fun. And then it kind of went from there. I think, you know, Bob started having me host when he was gone and started doing some different things with, with Jason Greger at times as well. So sort of weaseled my way in there a little bit. When it comes to sports radio, there's basically three key components. There's monologuing when there's nothing going on. There's talking to your guests, your interviews, and there's working the phone. Out of the trifecta, what was your favorite part of being on the air? Working the phones. I loved it. For a while, I was doing our post-game show after the Oilers games. And this is when the Oilers, they were god-awful at the time. Like, just terrible. So, you know, doing the show after a game where they lose 7-1 in, in Chicago and hearing that just the fans, the Oilers were so bad for so long there that I remember we had one guy retire on the air as a caller because he's like, I can't do this anymore, man. I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm never phoning again. I think it lasted about two weeks. And then he's like, this team sucks. The effort is terrible. I can't. I'm back. I can't. I can't. It's just like, this is awesome. You know, to think that my show basically starts saying, yeah, the Oilers lost 4-1. Give me a call. And then, boom, phones would light up. I mean, we were basically college radio at the time. We had no delay set up. We had no nothing. So people were swearing on the air, calling in drunk. Like, it was fun. It felt a little lawless, but it was cool. Like, I, I loved it. And I, you know, when I do shows nowadays, I, I miss callers, to be quite honest with you. Sometimes their opinions are terrible, but you, you love that. Sometimes they bring up some good points that you can kind of go off of. You know, texting's great because they're quick and they're boom, they're right there. You can save them when you want them. But I don't think it's anything like the interaction on the phone especially at nighttime. Do you find that the calls have fallen off with, uh, you know, distracted driving laws and, and streaming services and all these other things? You know, FM radio jocks will talk all the time about how they get more texts than calls and it, it's not great, but it's not as devastating because the music is what sells on yeah. FM. For AM, have you felt that dip as well? Oh yeah, 100%. I don't think, like I do on our station, they barely take calls, if at all, to be honest with you anymore. It's all text. And, I mean, I remember writing scripts back in the day where you basically send an hour of just straight calls or an hour of straight trivia calls like it was and you, your phones would be 
jacked the whole time. Now you're lucky if your phone rings and it's not somebody asking for directions or to order a pizza. They called the wrong number, you know? Like it's, uh, But yeah, back in the day, it was all calls. And I know some people hate that and they think, you know, why do I want to listen to this idiot's opinion? But kind of our thing was the voice of the fan and we let the fans talk. And I, I love that. You know, now in text, you kind of, you read it two-line text real quick you comment on it and you move on to where you know sometimes you have callers you're like hey this guy we gotta get rid of this person or you know this person you kind of talk to for five or six minutes and it's it's a decent you know not filler it's a decent product because there's some good ideas back and forth but i don't even think i gave out the phone number anymore to be quite honest with you true i think it's just it's all texts and the thing about callers too is they're regulars right they give themselves their their sports talk show <laughs> nicknames you know you had the warrior and vance in la and all these guys that would call in every day every couple days and you get to know them you honestly start to get worried if you haven't heard from them in a while you know <laughs> the, you talk about radio and the people you work with becoming your extended family when you're in sports talk the listeners almost become part of that too oh absolutely and i mean there were times where, where listeners had passed away and you got sent on the, somebody called you on the phone and said hey you know what this person's unfortunately not with us anymore and you're like you know what i don't know that person i used to walk right by me and i had no idea who it was but we talked every other day for a couple of years just some people would just call and shoot the shit with me you know they know bob's on like do you want to go in the air I'm like no nah, i just want to talk to you i'm like oh Great, that, that, that's cool, but you know, I got a job to do. Here. I I'll talk to you as much do. as I can. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I'm, we're doing a live show here that involves callers, and we only had three lines, and you're taking one of them. Which you know, hey, I'll be want to talk to me. That's great, but <laughs> I got things to do. Um, but yeah, you kind of you, you become uh, not friends, but definitely interested in these people. And then you're right. I mean, there's there's guys that that I still remember every once in a while. I hear them on a station around here, and like, oh yeah, and like I called me all the time. It was cool. And then I remember we had a PD for a short time that came in and said, you know what? None of this. None of these monikers. These people are just callers. They can't have names. They're not the stars of the show. And I'm like, well, you know what? If Daily Doug called us every day and that's his thing, like, what, what's the harm of calling him Daily Doug on the air? Like, it, I don't know. It just kind of soured me a little bit at that point. And that kind of went away quickly when that person moved on. But yeah, it's just some weird things with callers. But yeah, I think you're right. They become kind of your family. Hey, it's Grant with Pippin Technical Service. We're starting to see some light. Provinces are opening up and broadcasters that have had staff working remotely are beginning to roadmap what it will look like to bring everybody back to studio and get things back to normal. Well, the new normal. Hand washing, disinfecting studio equipment, that will be part of the routine for a while yet. And don't forget the mic socks. We are all stocked on socks. Need one? Need 20? Contact our solutions team today and make sure your staff, make sure you are covered. Uh, sports guests this week, so let's briefly talk sports. From broadcast headsets to IP codecs or even phone patches to get your play-by-play back to the studio, at Pippin, we've got everything you need to make your game sound great. From junior hockey on the radio to a college webcast to the major leagues we've got solutions priced for every level broadcast podcast video give us a call we'll talk workflow and sort out your starting lineup you can find us on facebook linkedin and twitter at pippin technical or online at pippintech.com we build broadcast when did you make the move or get the opportunity to make the move to doing play-by-play because you're listen i know you love your football I know you like yeah. baseball. You got teams in damn near every sport, but I know you're a <laughs> hockey guy. When did you get to make yeah. the move to the sport that you wanted? And working with Bobby, started, he was doing the uh, Alberta Golden Bears hockey at the time and football. And on the side, I, I would op his games at, at CJSR. I would host some of the games. So when I got the playoffs on like the bigger events, I'd come in and I'd do like interviews and stuff for him. So I was in that mix a little bit. And then when he moved on to the Edmonton Oilers, Basically, he handed the job to me. You know, he's like, you've been around, you've been studying, you give a shit, I want you to do this. And I'm like, okay, perfect. And I think actually it was a year before he went to the Oilers, so I did like three games, 
And then he's like, you know what? I miss it too much. I can't not do it. So I got bounced. <laughs> like, Fuck, I'm out of retirement already. Like I just kind of got my, my spot here. I, I feel like I was driving someone else's car the first few days. And then it was like, no, I'm coming back. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So yeah, he came back and then he got the job with the Oilers and left full time. And so I took that over for a couple of years doing both the hockey and football. And it wasn't quite like Nate because he had people around supporting you, but you were doing your own thing. You know, I, I kind of based up all my research on, on how I liked it. Play by play is what I always wanted to do. So I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to start here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make my scripts. I'm going to make my, my sheets and my homework and do all that stuff for both hockey and football. And it was good doing both. I think doing hockey is kind of what I always thought I, I'd do because it's just, I don't know, it, it, it is what it is. But I love doing football, I'll be honest with you. It was so much fun and so much more work. There's 53 guys on a team. Like, you, you had to do so much more. And I I loved it. I loved doing football. And then when the opportunity came with the Oil Kings, I, I had to make the choice. And then, you know, I guess that's history now. You know, you briefly mentioned it earlier, and now we're just talking about it. It made me think of it again. We should really talk about how Team 1260 was structured because it's so unlike anything that anyone listening to this knows of a radio station today like you're just talking about how the guy you worked for the host on team 1260 was calling sports games on the university station cjsr and while you were at 1260 he had to pay you out of his pocket to keep you on the show and now he was paying you to go and do this other thing as well and i'm working for two different stations that aren't even in the same company is just so wild but it's because team 1260 was not structured like a real well i shouldn't say real but a traditional radio station. Yeah, it was basically, like I said, Brent and Jake were the morning show at the time, and, and they were full-time employees. Brent was the program director, and everybody else, like, I mean, Bob bought the afternoon airtime from the station. Jason Greger still does that now, and it's, it's totally different. Everybody else was, I don't think there were any more full-time, like, specific, uh, definitely not on-air people. I mean, there were probably some producers that had to do commercials, but they would do them for everybody. So really, the only Team 1260 specific full-time people, I, I think, were Brennan Jake at the time. And there'd be Jim Rome during the day, so it was in satellite. There'd be nobody in the station, so you could go in there and kind of, you know, set yourself to off-air and, and practice, really. So it was so different. And that's why you had to do so much else on the side, too, because they weren't paying a lot. So you had to do whatever you could. And, you know, I, I guess recognize that I was pretty valuable to the team, and I helped out a lot. So he was like, I don't want to lose this guy. He cares. And I don't want to get some other person that, that, you know, is there for practice and basically gets thrown into the mix to do a sports show and they have no appetite for it. He didn't want me. Times. That's what it was. He didn't want I, me. No, no, no. <laughs> you, you, you gave a shit, Drew. Like, you cared. Like, you were it. But there were some other people there that had no fucking... They didn't want to do sports. No. Right? They had no, they had no interest in it whatsoever. And all of a sudden, they're offing the most listened to show on our station at that time, and they don't care. And I think, you know, Stop didn't obviously want that because it hurt the product. So, and he had big dreams, and obviously, he's followed along with those. So, I think, you know, not to tap myself in the back too much, but I was valuable to him. So, when you're valuable to him, he uh, treated you well. I just couldn't imagine if every radio station was like that. Like, I'm doing an afternoon drive rock <laughs> show. I couldn't imagine being on the air from three to seven. But before that, having to like hustle out to like head shops and dispensaries and liquor stores and wherever I could get someone to be like, yo, you want to buy a 30 second ad on my show? It's just so wild to think. But it also opened up the station to the most bizarre personalities because they would sell airtime to literally anyone who would buy it. And that's how you ended up with Soccer Steve on the weekends or Tony Fiorello, who's, I don't even know what that guy did for a living, but it sure as hell wasn't radio. Yeah, there were some, uh, some unique times. I mean, that was good for me, though, because they, they all needed ops. Yeah. And there was basically, I was it. Um, and then you came along after to help out, too. And it was like, 
basically you're like, hey, we need you to work here and here and here. And like basically you end the point, you're like, well, now I'm working full time and I'm getting paid like nothing. What's going on here? But <laughs> you're right. Anybody could have a show if you paid for it. And ones that have been successful, and I bring up Gregor again, like he, that guy hustles. It's unbelievable. And I give him all the credit in the world. He's doing really well because of it. But I mean, at some point you're competing with your own people, right? Because your station is trying to sell airtime and, and you're selling airtime and private contractors selling airtime. It's, it's kind of weird. Like it's, it's really weird, but it all seems to work out enough that it, they keep it going. All right, enough talking about uh, sales and, and, and weird radio and, and guys you never want to meet again. You're at CJSR, but you're still at 1260. You're doing some of these games. Now, Bob has gone to the Oilers, so it's your yep. full-time gig. When did you move from doing U of A games to the Edmonton Oil Kings? 10-11 was my first year doing Oil Kings. So I did the Bears for two years, um, and then AJ Jackie Beck was doing Oil Kings. And actually, the, the first year of Oil Kings on our station, I was our host as well. So I do our drive show, then I whip to Rexall and host the Oil King game. We had an hour-long pregame show, and I do intermissions and stuff. So that was really cool, kind of getting involved and getting to work with AJ, who, you know, to me, he was a professional play-by-play guy. Like, this is a guy that does it. That's what that's his job. He came here to do the Oil Kings and getting to learn from him on how he calls a game and, you know, take what I like, leave what I didn't, but really have an influence as a good friend of mine now. And being involved was really good. And then I went and called my own games for a while and sort of forgot about the Oil Kings. And then when him and our station ended up parting ways, it opened up. And I I remember applying the, the, the day the news came out. I went to our PD and said, listen, I, I might not be the most qualified person, but I, I want this. This is my goal. This has been my dream is to be a WHL play-by-play guy. It's the next step for me. And, you know, I gave him a tape and I did all that stuff. I hounded him every day. And there was some competition, obviously, from, from outside. And I, I, I always kind of joked that I was easy hire because I was in the building and I was there. So whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it ended up working out. And kind of got through a bit of a few rough patches at the beginning when you're trying to figure things out the first time and then you've kind of been doing it since so it's been good when you're with a team like the oil kings in the whl this is not just heading over to the claire drake arena and calling a game for the university kids and going back to your life you're on buses you're on planes you are traveling with the team you eat sleep and breathe edmonton oil kings because that's how you are able to do your job well what was that level of commitment like for you it was cool. It was tough at first. Like, it was the station's decision not to have AJ come back anymore as a money thing, whatever. But I know the Oil Kings loved him. So it was a little awkward at first kind of going in as a guy following up somebody that you really liked having around. And all of a sudden he's not there. And why? Why is this guy doing it? So I, at first it was a little intimidating, I think, to try to let them trust me and get to know me a little bit. My first road trip was a gong show because I, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what to do. So I showed up in my bags at the rank and the bus wasn't there and I was like, okay, well, I'm early. Where the hell's the bus? What's happening? Realizing that they were loading the bus and then they go over to the casino like across the way at Rexall. There's Northlands and they have this the casino there. They'll park their cars there because you can't park at Rexall and the bus would leave from there. So here I am standing at Rexall on the phone with our trainers trying to figure out what the hell's going on, lugging a bag around, hissing rain out. The bus leaves from Northlands. I, I drove my car to Northland, couldn't find the bus. So I started running back to, to Rexall with my suitcase and everything, like just absolutely embarrassing. <laughs> Finally getting a hold of them, and they picked me up at the liquor store on 118th Ave, outside the <laughs> liquor store. I'm like, get on the bus, get slow clap from all the team who I basically don't know anybody yet. And I'm just like, this is, this is how it starts. I'm like this, I, I'm not going to last. This is brutal. But I think kind of going through that and taking all the chirps and all that stuff really brought me into it. You know, it brought me into everybody. They made fun of me and I took it. I didn't make a big deal about it. Obviously didn't miss another box for the rest of my time, but uh, <laughs> kind of earned that little bit of 
okay, this guy's willing to, to, to be part of it and take it and do whatever. So once you kind of get the lay of the land and know what you're doing, it, it's great. Everything is so structured. Like you basically, you're, it's almost like you're in boarding school. You have a schedule of what you have to do, when you have to be at breakfast, when you have to be at the rink, when you have to be changed, what you have to wear. None of the rules really applied to me, but still I kind of bought in. I was like, you know what? I'm with the team. I'm going to be with the team. And they treat me like one of their own. And then when you're getting to actually call the games again, now you, you said it, CJSR, it's a fun station. There's like six people listening to a game. Now... You're on 1260. You're on an actual major market radio station doing games, and you know all these kids got family listening in online from all over the country. What was the real deal like compared to some of your previous experiences? I mean, it was definitely different. Remember when we started, I was always that guy that, oh, what a homer. I'll never be a homer. I'm going to be right down the middle. <laughs> but we did all the games like that. At the U of A, I was like that too. I did everything right down the middle because I wasn't really immersed in it. I didn't go to practices because they were during the drive shows. I'd always show up and do the games. So you're, you know, you talk to the coaches and they're good with you, but you're not really part of it. When you get to the WHL, I remember one of my first games, one of the coaches came by and he's like, listen, I, one of our coaches that didn't work the bench, he'd stay at home and, and listen to the games, watch the games online. He's like, when I'm listening to the game, I'm not paying total attention. I'm doing things. I need to know when we score and I need to know when they score. You can't be down the middle. And for me, I was like, wow, that's tough because I, I don't want to be that guy. And then I was like, you know what? I'll be that guy. And I had to, you know, you get immersed in it. And as the team gets better, you're going along these playoff series, you're getting more and more, you're part of it. You know what I mean? Like as much as you want to be the hockey night in Canada down the middle, bro, you can't be. You can't be. So that was a little bit of a shell shock for me of sort of becoming a homer. And then I think I did a pretty good job of being a real good homer. I heard some of those those big playoff <laughs> calls. I'm surprised you were able to talk after them. <laughs> it's funny because, like I said, I've been listening back to those games to get them to the re-airing during this whole COVID thing. At times I'm cringing. I'm like, oh, man, stop bitching about the officiating. So like, just, just do the game and shut up. And uh, it's been fun. But then you also realize, like, you kind of go back to how emotional it was. Like you go down to Portland three years in a row and you're playing the same team over and over and the, the hatred of it, it felt like us against them at times. So yeah, it, it definitely leaked through. And you know what? I never really had a problem with my voice, to be honest with you. And I mean, I've never taken any training or anything like that. I just do it and kind of get that growl growing a little bit, which I'll be honest, I thought after some of those games, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. But 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, this is fine. I'm good. So I kind of went with it. Yeah, listening back to the Memorial Cup game, actually did the final yesterday. I was just kind of getting it set to, to re-air. And I was like, man, how much energy did I have back then? You know, it's an interesting thing you just brought up that I've literally never thought of thinking about sports. But when teams meet in playoff series, especially repeatedly, there's the rivalry there, especially for the team that loses. Because you look across the ice, that's the team that sent us home. That's the team that kept yep. us from the playoffs. That's the team that ended our season. And I've never stopped to think that the guy up in the booth has the same, because for you, that's the last game you're going to call that season, and it's because of those kids on the other bench. And I never thought that that would develop a rivalry there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're so immersed in, in your team's culture. Edmonton is very professional. You know, they wear suits to the rink all the time. Practices on the road during the playoffs, you had to be dressed a certain way and you had to represent. And then we get to Portland at their practice rink and they're all guys are rolling in in tank tops and shorts. And it's like, what is going on over there? You know, but it's the middle of the day of our practice. Who really cares? It's just how it is. And you get so most immersed in the way this is the way we do things and that's the way they do things. And you just you kind of look, I don't want to say look down your nose, but it just kind of builds that general dislike and, and even you know your friends all the other radio guys but at the end of the day you know they're rooting for their team too and you're kind of like you just kind of get dragged into it so much and you're right i mean when the, the other team scores your season's over or the other team wins and but you also have a job to do like a couple of years after the memorial cup runs the weekends eliminated edmonton in double overtime and the the goal uh, call 
I remember, and I remember thinking, I'm proud of this one because that was the one that ended our season. But I really sold that weekend goal in the playoffs. I'm like, that, that's my job. As much as I hate the fact that they won and, and we're done, it's over, i got to get ready for summer and the draft and all that fun stuff, you still have a job to do where you, you can't just totally go, oh, game's over, that sucks. It's kind of a balancing act, and I think it's more of a balancing act at the lower levels than it is at the higher levels. I think the higher levels, you're a little bit more removed, obviously. You're not quite immersed as much. I mean, I'd walk into Oaking's dressing room without knocking or anything. Like they just, You're one of them. At the pro level, it's not quite like that. It's much more maintained. I think it's a little different. But yeah, at our level, it's just, you're part of it. What was it like winning a, uh, well, I guess you didn't win, but what was it like calling? Yeah, I won. A Memorial Cup. Did you get a ring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're great. They, I got rings for the, uh, the championship in 2012 and then a Memorial Cup ring in 2014. Absolutely. Do you wear them? No. I used to wear the Memorial Cup ring the first day of the playoffs just to kind of be like, okay, here, we're starting again. And then every once in a while, for like a banquet, I'll throw it on. So I know some people like to lick, but I mean, it's sitting in a box on my dresser, collecting dust. I don't really display it or anything because I, I didn't do anything. I was in the right place at the right time. Let's be honest. If you yeah. had said that you were wearing that <laughs> ring, I was going to find a way to go talk to 2003, 2004 Corey Graham because he would have <laughs> beat your ass. Oh, exactly. That's what I mean. But you, you lose <laughs> some of that a little bit. And listen, I remember Stoffer telling one thing to me when he was doing Golden Bears and they won and he got a ring and he's like, oh, I don't know if I should wear this. He said, you know what? Rod Phillips always told him that you're part of it. You got the ring. You, you earned it. No matter how you did it, you earned it. And I was like, well, if Rod Phillips says that, I guess you know. <laughs> I can feel that way a little bit. I mean, it's probably my, my most prized professional possession, but I just, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable wearing it. You know, some people still ask me, did you play? I'm like, ah, look at you think I play? No chance. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I was part of it. I was there. We have to get to a more serious part of this interview because obviously things were going great with the oil kings you were doing the 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 play-by-play for many years you'd become an established part of the sports scene in edmonton and you've since had to sort of retract from that what happened that caused you to have to step down as the play-by-play guy for a period of time i mean i was going through a lot of, of pain basically from about 2015 to well ultimately i guess 2018 i had back pain and i was going to doctors at different times and they all kind of said you know what do physio do some workouts you know, lose a couple pounds all that kind of stuff so they're like, okay well i'll just keep working away here and at times it would get better at times it wouldn't i think like, there's something more wrong here than just a, a disc problem something's not right i feel terrible i started to lose a bunch of muscle and i'm like something's wrong so I, I finally after doing x-rays and stuff never showing anything i went and got an mri and they found a tumor in my back and it uh I don't want to say unexpected because I knew something was wrong, but it obviously wasn't the news you want to get. And that put me up. I had two surgeries in a week in the middle of 2018. I was in the hospital for 80-something days and trying to start to do rehab and fighting back pretty much ever since then. Still in a wheelchair, which which sucks, but I never really had a ton of adversity at different times. So this is something you just kind of battled through, but uh, definitely was tough. It was really tough just that first September of knowing that I wasn't going to be back in time and the show goes on. doesn't matter if you're there or not. So they had to bring in another guy to fill in for me and it was a tough year. It was a really tough to kind of keep tabs a little bit, but not. I didn't really feel like I wanted to be over. Andrew Peard's the guy that filled in for me. I didn't want to be over his shoulder, and I didn't want to be like around too much. And you know, I basically kind of stayed away. And I was, I mean, I was mad, obviously, too, that I couldn't do my job, and I was missing out on the team starting to turn around again. I mean, they were dead last my last year, and the year before they weren't very good, and, and they were starting to turn the corner. It was new excitement, so I was tough. It was tough not being around. Retracted a little bit since then. I came back to the start of this year to do home games because I was feeling a little better, and I just didn't want to be out of the mix for too long just been trying to get better since then what was the feeling that first home game back getting ready for it was the same it was doing all the same things 
it was nice to know that I was going to be back and, you know, it kind of had a purpose again, really. Cause I mean, you sit around for so much time and as much as you're doing rehab and stuff, it just kind of feels like you're, you're, you're gone from everything. So it was really nice to go back in. It was amazing. The amount of people that came up to me and, you know, had some kind words and the amount of stuff I got on Twitter and all that stuff and the notes from people. It was really encouraging. It really kind of, you're not forgotten. You know, even though you've been gone for a year, nobody's forgotten about you, which was really cool. And I'll be honest, when I got to the rink, I'm like, I just want to get to the game. I just want to get all this stuff over with and I just want to do what I do. I always believe that the, the radio guy should never, ever be the story. It should always be the story on the ice. I and mean, that's what you're there to, to document the story on the ice. So it was a little tough being the story that they won the game. They scored a bunch of goals in the second period after being down early. They're playing Calgary, which is one of their rivals. Calgary's new head coach was our old head coach. So Steve Hamilton, like he came in before my surgeries and basically gave me like a pregame speech at the hospital about what to do. And it was just, I really value him as a friend. So it was great that he was there too. And once he got into it, it was the same. It didn't take long to get going. You know, once the puck dropped, you're kind of doing the same thing. You just get right back into the flow, really. I mean, you know what it's like when you're away from your show for a while and he came back, it probably felt a little weird but you're back doing what you do, right? The nice thing is when you don't set the bar very high, you, you don't have to work that hard <laughs> to get back there. So, But I mean, I know for you, just knowing you for as long as I have, you're a stubborn piece of shit. So I'm sure yeah. you put the same work towards rehab and getting better and all that that you did to you know, annoying me with your Saskatchewan Rough Rider fandom. So I, I know you're going to be fine. It's the other way around now. Aren't you the Riders fan? I see you wearing that jersey all the time. It's a work shirt. It's a work shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. work shirt. There you go. Okay. They offered <laughs> me a jersey. They were like, hey, you know, because you, we're broadcast partners with them, even even with our FM. We don't carry the games, but yep. it's all sort of a family thing. And they're like, we want to we want to give you guys jerseys. And they're like, what would you like to put on it? And I was like, well, don't put my name on it. Because that's weird. <laughs> put the wolf on it. And hey, here's yeah. an idea. Could you put, like, we're 1049. Could you put those numbers on the front? And then I could wear it to, like, station events and stuff like that. It's it's cheap publicity. And they found a way to do that. And they've given me three more jerseys over the years. Nice. I, have, I have four rider jerseys now. But only wow. a couple of them have my name on them. And they all say 104.9. So when I leave the station, I, I don't know, I'll burn them or something. They're useless <laughs> once I'm not here anymore. <laughs> Or you just cheer for the riders. I mean, you just do that. I'm not right. cheering for a CFL team until they put one in Yellowknife. We've talked about this. Yes, yes, we have. Yes, we have. Uh, well, I'm sure the way the CFL is going right now, expansion is right on the doorstep. <laughs> Get out of here, Halifax. We're going north first. Oh, wait. We're yeah. out of money. Yeah, give us money, and then we'll give you another team to get money from them, too. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you talk about in sports radio right now? I mean, all of our hosts pretty much are doing their shows from home, so pretty tough to take a sick day and have somebody else come in if you're at home yeah so i haven't done a lot which is kind of a blessing because you were at team 1260 during the lockout right oh my god that before you got there no Do you remember the lockout how bad that was <laughs> that sucked that year of no hockey and then we had to still do shows you didn't have the access to as much as we do now like you didn't have obviously social media you didn't have ways to draw people in you just did a show about not having hockey it was awful so i imagine now i mean you got to do whatever you can i think honestly i think sports shows are starting to sound more like shock breaks really because you're doing whatever you can to get people involved and, and trying to get through your time I, you know you get lots of interviews obviously and you go down memory lane but I, I don't envy those people that have to host a show every every day right now that's for sure the creative people are still coming up with stuff right they're still finding yeah. their stride they're still finding ways that they can twist what's happening in the world others are just like well the koreans are playing baseball that's a thing yeah <laughs> i know we're like 
we're going to re-air games from six years ago that you were part of. Do it. Well, cool. That's, you know, whatever it takes, man. But yeah. Yeah, I was a bit of a stickler back in the day for how things had to be perfectly aligned and everything had to be straight and down the middle. Like, yeah. That's probably the reason why I'm not hosting the show every day anymore. <laughs> so... <laughs> Obviously, it's hard to tell the future right now because the present is so fucked up. But what do you see being your goals over the next, say, five years with what you want to do in radio? It's weird because things have changed, obviously, a lot with where I'm at. I mean, if I can get back to kind of obviously getting around a little bit easier, I, you know, obviously, I want to get to the top level. I want to move on. Like, I did the All Kings for eight years, then took a year off, and then came back this year. And it almost feels like starting over again at the bottom. But with anything, if you want to move up, things go well for me. I kind of hope that the next few years and get back going and, and who knows if it's you know i'd love to call games in the nhl i mean that's that's it it's, there's those, those jobs are so few and far between obviously especially here in canada it's tough but you keep doing what you do and, and see where it goes right now i don't have a massive plan because i'm sort of limited in what i can do but you know to be honest radio is not drilling holes or laying brick or anything like that it's not hard if it ends up i'm doing shows and that's fine you know what that's that's where i'm at i'm good with that for now but uh, obviously play by play is what my passion has been and i want to continue that as long as i can if an NHL gig in the States comes up, one of those super desirable markets down in the South where nobody actually watches the game, is that fantastic lady of yours going to go with you? Or That's the other thing is what do you do? I, I always thought like the States is kind of where you'd want to be because there's so many more opportunities, obviously, with the more teams. But now you look at the way the U.S. is, I don't know. <laughs> no, like I have no excitement of going to the States for a road game, let alone moving down there. So I always thought kind of with Seattle, I was like, oh, that would be perfect, kind of back towards home. And, and then my wife was, was very like, oh, hey, Seattle, that's what you – and then this happened. I'm like, oh, hey, Seattle probably wouldn't be the best thing in the world right now anyway. So I don't know. I mean, I used to kind of think in plans. Now I'm just sort of like just take it as it is. And my goal right now, every day is to get a little bit better so hopefully kind of things continue progressing we'll see what happens i know you still listen to the radio and i know you got a lot of really hungry Corey graham-esque kids coming up at that station who should we be on the lookout for sports radio types matthew wanna kind of took over for my role he's gonna run the station at some point if not every station in the world <laughs> uh i kind of joke back in the day because i hired him he's like he's like my only ever hire at the station because by one point brain was like yeah you try this you try hiring somebody. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I had these kids in from Nate, and the Wanick was there, and he's been great. I think he's really kind of developed his role there as well. So he's a guy coming up. But Connor Halley has been a huge part of our station, I think, um, behind the scenes. And now he works with Gregor and, you know, guys that, and they've been there for a while, but have persevered because it's not easy when you're open. Yeah, I mean, you know what it's like when you're open and you're doing street team, you're doing whatever you can to, to make ends meet. You know, you're working shitty hours, you're, all your friends are doing fun things, and you're stuck at a radio station living the dream. It's good to see that it, it pays off for some people in the end. So I think those are two guys. Hernan Salas does a lot of our digital stuff now, and they found a role for him after they canceled our night show, which is good because he's up for doing anything too. So, I mean, those are probably three of the, I wouldn't say, well, they're lesser known than our hosts, but guys that have really you know, grinded and uh, are making a name for themselves and kind of continue watching what they do. How can people find you if they want to follow your story, see where you're getting up to? I'm on social media. I'm not super active. My creative handle is at Corey Graham on Twitter because, <laughs> you know, why not? Again, I'm not never said I was a creative person. Corey with an uh, E, mostly, by the way, because he's yeah, that Yeah, Corey, Corey with an E. <laughs> That's right. I'm that guy. I, I'll be honest. Mostly I just read. I don't post a lot unless it's work-related because, you uh, know, the muck of social media. You never know what to say sometimes. So I just kind of, I read, I get news from there, but 
I'll interact every now and then. If somebody wants to, that's great. If anybody wants to tell stories, that's fun. Um, but I'm not super duper active. I'm just, I'm kind of boring on it, but hey, I'm there. Follow me. Yeah, why not? And the then, sales uh, pitch is fantastic. With, well, I don't want to lie to people. I don't want to be like, <laughs> yeah, check out all this cool stuff I do. Check out this <laughs> thing I do trying to get this play-by-play guy's job. I'm like, no, no, no. My buddy does that. I don't do any of that stuff. So, you know, but if you want the odd take on, uh, on junior hockey or sometimes what's going on in the world sure yeah follow me Corey Grant Corey I love you buddy thank you for the time man hey Drew anytime I appreciate you having me on I've, uh, I've listened to this podcast since you started I kind of took a break when you did and getting back into it now so it's good to see you back doing this my friend and all the best this has been the Off Mike Podcast brought to you by Pippin Technical tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mike Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening.